Hey, just take a look. Um, I mentioned some things last week, and I'm, I want to continue to reiterate. It's what I believe is, in a, in a, a manageable sense, kind of what God is uh, going to put on my heart in a, in a very practical way in regards to uh, our goal, our desire. So if you want to look at Psalm 119, verses 25 through 27, we'll bring those up. It's Psalm 119. Verses 25 to 27. So, so I'm watching because I'm curious. Is it faster for those who do digital or those who turn their pages and find the, the location? So, so that's kind of interesting. Because we looked at, we noticed it last night in the men's group that, you know, sometimes it's actually quicker just to turn the pages in the Bible than it is to get your app to play well, you know. So but. anyway, Psalm 119. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I shall meditate on your wonderful works. And so I believe that really kind of capsulizes, if you would, kind of a season we're in where so many are literally saying, you know, revive me, Lord. You know, they've sensed a dryness. You know, there's a sense of time in their life that they're maybe coming out of or just still dealing with where they, they're just they wanting to be closer to the Lord. They're wanting to have a greater sense of His presence, a greater awareness of, of the Word. And so you see how the, the psalmist here is making this declaration. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me. According to your Word, I have declared my ways... And you answered me, teach me your statues. And so you see what's so beautiful because it's kind of that um, um, teacher-student relationship. Um, you could even see it as father-son type of relationship where the student is realizing their need. And with that, they're willing to make some changes, willing to do some things, be, be taught, to be disciplined. And so you see what he's declaring, teach me your statutes, make me understand the way of your precepts. And that's not meant to imply forcefulness, but it's a sense of help me to prioritize, help me to know, um, you know how, to, how to walk in this. So, and, he, and it says, so, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. And you've heard me say it for a couple of weeks, a few weeks now. About, you know, on Sunday morning, I give homework, you know, I encourage you as you come in and get a message, listen to the message, whatever it may be on Sunday, that you then take that home and, and you kind of walk it through and work it through. And it's in a sense of meditating on it. It's chewing on it and thinking about what, what stood out, what, what was really unique to me, you may say personally, about that message on Sunday, or perhaps it's a message you caught somewhere else or online or something in your own personal reading. When there's something that stands out, you want to chew on it. It's, in a lot of ways, that's what meditate speaks of, to just chew on it over and over and think about how's this fit? How's this apply? What's this mean? And, and you're learning to, in those times, you're learning to um, really grow in the Lord. You're learning to de depend upon, be dependent upon Him. So I mentioned, you know, as far as just this, this text even directs us to be teachable. Uh, my desire, I believe I can say our goal as a church, it has four parts, but it's really one goal. Uh, the first part would be learning the Word. Learning the Word. Um, that's what we do when we study. It's what we do when we engage. Uh, learning to serve. You know, learning to serve. You know, we, we may have served somewhere else. We may have uh, engaged and served in, in a different area of ministry. But what's God doing in your life uniquely in this season, in this time? Some are going through difficult times, so it's hard to even think about how to, to connect or serve. Others are coming out of a, of a difficult time, and they're refreshed, and they're ready to put into practice what they've been chewing on, what they've been thinking about. So learning the Word, learning to serve, learning to love. Um, love is a fascinating thing because it can take diverse and even adverse personalities and blend them together for a perfect work. It can take people serving in an area that have a unique or different life experience, but when we learn to just love and understand what 
our maybe our goal is or, or what our, our, the important realities of life are, um, that I, I've noticed we tend to learn to love. Does anybody here feel you've got that figured out in all relationships? You really, you're kind of tapped out there. You could write a book for the rest of us maybe or at least a handout. You know, Nobody would admit that, but I don't think, but, but no one's ever been there. We've never got to where we can say, I know how to love. Um, been married to Kim for 40 years. I'm still figuring it out, right? So and you ain't got a chance. I mean, you got to try to figure out a lot of me, and that you know. So it's, anyway, I don't mean that in any way negative. Do you see what I'm saying? Different seasons, different situations, different scenarios. Uh, you may be serving in an area. You may be involved in certain, something. Your work might have even changed. Are you learning to love? Are you learning to see people from God's perspective? Um, because if we lean towards pessimism, if we learn, lean towards kind of complaining, and it's usually oriented around people, correct? It's, it's not just that the widgets for the thing you build at the factory were crooked, and somebody, it's just somebody made them wrong. There's always a person to blame. You see what I'm saying? But if we learn to see people not from our picky part, complainy part, but from God's perspective, I think it'll help us. I, I've said this before, I hold tight to it, I Embrace it more and more as I go through life. In regards to growing in Christ, there is no place for pessimism. There's no place for complaining. It sounds almost too severe, but there's not. You check, fact check me on that one. Get your Bible out and see how it works out for complaining people in the Scripture. You might want to start in Exodus and then just see how they did on a 11-day journey and 40 years wandering to make it to the destination. And it was because they were complaining constantly. And, and I think the core of it is they didn't see people from God's perspective. Stuff won't bother you. Situations won't bother you. People are what bother you. Is that true? Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. Yeah, it is. It's people. And I think it's so important because, you know, the, you, this passage is speaking of revive me, Lord. You know, bring about that fresh work. You know, help me to understand your ways. And so learning the word, learning to serve, learning to love, and, and, and all together we're learning to do life together. I believe it's one of the greatest needs in our world right now that we learn to do life together, not compromising and saying all roads lead to heaven and everybody can get there on their own, but understanding how to do life together, how to, how to get along in a situation that's more complicated and how to work through things that are not as logical. There's a lot of emotion and hurt and other factors involved. How do we do life together? In some ways, I believe it's a bit of a failure in the church. I believe we've learned doctrine. I believe we've learned differences. But I don't know that historically the church has learned how to do life together uh, amongst themselves, even with the doctrinal variances, uh, considering agreeing on the essentials. But even then, you know, the practical expression, I don't think we've learned how to do life together very well. Now, I believe it's one of the biggest criticisms for those who are not yet Christians, for those who look with a, a, uh, maybe a hypercritical eye at the church, they don't see unity. They don't see people have learned how to do life together. So um, be thinking about it. It encompasses, you know, the other aspect of our ministry, which is, I don't speak of it as our, like me and the leadership get together and we write this vision or this mission statement. It's our, as the body of Christ, as this gathering of people involves three E's, to evangelize, to edify, and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That really, those three things are part of everything we're doing. Now, sometimes it's more outreach oriented. That would be the evangelizing side. Sometimes it's more along the lines of, of edifying. That speaks of to build up. So our, our gathering together may be to build up. It's kind of like this is more, uh, if you could separate between the three, you'd probably say this is more edifying. It's oftentimes midweek is more believers coming together, being built up in the word. As we grow as Christians, as we grow in the Word, as we learn these things, we understand and start seeing what God has uniquely called us to, what He's even invited us to, what He's equipped us for. Because as we're built up, the element of gathering together also encompasses equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, according to Ephesians 4. So 
All that to say, I want to encourage you just to be, I hate to sound, uh, you know, I, I don't like cultural buzzwords, but this one's kind of one of them, but I, I, I like it. What it means is be intentional. Do you feel there's sometimes buzzwords like be intentional? Hey, let's collaborate on something. Collaboration's just been a cool word for a long time. It just sounds cool to say it as part of it. You could say let's get together and work on a project, but hey, you know, what about what do we collaborate together on something? I just think it's more serious. It's like more professional. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, we're fishing. We're collaborating on how the best way to entice these these this marine life onto our dinner plate or whatever. But anyway, all that to say, be intentional about your spiritual life. That's why you're here, it's, right? I mean, obviously, it's why you're here. So we're going to be in Psalm 37 um, probably for two weeks. It's kind of what I'm leaning towards. So if you want to just kind of hang a left there from Psalm 119, go back to Psalm 137. And... I said 137 and 37, you can pick, but I'm going to be teaching from Psalm 37. <laughs> Let me check 137. No, I'm just kidding. Psalm 37. It's a, a psalm of contrast, a psalm um, that, that compares, if you would, uh, some my subheading the heritage of the righteous and the calamity of the wicked you know life we know is full of contrasts um environmentally right you you plan a vacation you get all dialed up and that seems to be maybe the time it rains when you needed sunshine or whatever just there's there's this contrast in environment we have day and night there's contrasts uh in experience at some things you can be excited for other things you're lethargic about um, some are married, some are widowed, some people are rich, some people are poor, uh, some are happy, some are sad, there's birth, there's death, there's seasons of calm, there's seasons of unrest, there's political contrasts, there's moral contrasts, ethical contrasts that we're around every day, agreed? So with all that, how do we navigate life, literally, I would put it this way, without going crazy, without feeling like we're not, we're not going anywhere. And I think we can pull a few things out of this particular psalm that will be very helpful. Um, the contrast we're going to see primarily is those who know and trust God in contrast to those who are in opposition to God. Um, those who are opposed to God are described as evildoers or wicked in this context. Um, wicked does not have to be you know, dressed in black, robbing people and breaking things. That is an expression of wickedness. But wickedness can be expressed in many ways, but at its core, it's actually selfishness. You look at what we see in some of the wickedness in our world today and some of the unbelievable behavior that's taken place, you know, in big cities, I see there's a bunch of looting going on again because somebody came up with, here's a good reason to loot, so they break in and steal things. And, of course, they put dark masks on, and they throw, oh, well, some of them do. But anyway, we're in a weird time. But that's nothing new under the sun because there's always been weird times. It, it, it's just different places on the planet, different seasons, different times. So David, we see here in this particular psalm, it's not, he's not just bringing to you his life experiences. We always want to be careful when we're studying the Bible that we don't put too much emphasis on the author because we're missing the point. The author, if we're going to put emphasis, let's remember who the author is. It's not the messenger. God is the author. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So what we have between Genesis and, and Revelation is God breathed and some, he breathes that into, say, for example, David. And so David then is the agent, the instrument, the, the hand by which the heart of God is revealed. And so we can learn, I think it's important, I believe it's part of the reason why we're told who the agent is, this God coming the truth through David, because we can learn from his experiences. We can apply a little bit of the principle that's being poured through. We can see poured through. We can see it in the Apostle Paul, agreed? You see some of the things he shared. They're very much of his own experience. These principles come forth. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes if we get too heady or scholarly, so to speak, 
we start studying the agent and we forget about the author. And we start putting the emphasis upon, well, Paul was this or David was this and this is why it's, it's a truth we want to embrace, we want to understand. David in this text or this psalm, if you glance at verse 25, it says, I have been young and now I'm old. So I'm not a deep thinker, but Deus is later in life, agreed? Because he declares himself, this is, I was young and now I'm not. Because that's what happens. I'm young and, and I was young and I learned a few things, but now I'm old and, and it's all, I'm seeing things from a, a broader perspective, a deeper understanding. All this to say, remember, when you're going through joys and wonderful times, or you're going through the direct opposite, painful, hurtful, difficult times, God is not detached. He's not absent. He's not unaware of what we go through. Actually, we see from the, the, the Word of God, He confirms to you and I that He is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Let's pray. God, as we would approach Your Word tonight, we do thank You that You're not detached. You're not distant and separated we we feel sometimes that's the case we we don't sense in our, in our being um your closeness but that doesn't remove you god it just confirms we just don't sense it sometimes it's the hurt sometimes it's the pain of this life sometimes it's the deception or the distractions or the temptation or the sin but lord you know us you you know us perfectly well and so thank you for the psalm thank you for your word Walk us through tonight. Reveal to us, God, your word, your desire, your correction, the hope that comes from you and you alone, God. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to reflect your love and kindness to a world around us, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's begin Psalm 37, verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Fret speaks of, uh, some, some translations I believe use the word uh, do not be agitated. Um, fret just speaks of, you know, don't be furious, don't be hot, angry, kindled, worked up. Don't get all worked up. Well, what would we, what's he saying don't get worked up about? Because of evildoers. Because of, or nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. It, it, we're going to see it as we go along in this text. Evil seems to prosper. Wicked seems to work. For many people, wicked seems to work. They, they seem to get promotion. They seem to have better cash flow. They seem to be happier. And when you look at that, you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't, this, doesn't, this doesn't seem to be right. This doesn't seem to be the way it should be. And he's saying, don't get all warmed up. Don't get all worked up. You know, don't get all hot-headed over it. Because has anybody ever done that? Have you ever seen your life and realized that you're made, you've made some sacrifices from, in a sense of comparing to culture? You've chose not to do certain things. You've chose to spend your Sundays different. You've chose to, to, to kind of learn certain things. And then other people who don't do that, they do the direct opposite. They seem to flourish. And it's like, this doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem, why am I doing all this good stuff when they're getting along better? And then you're like, man, that, that, that's irritating to me. That's frustrating to me. And he's saying, don't fret. Don't get worked up. Verse 2, he said, you know, they, 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 for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. He's saying, keep eternity in view. You are an eternal being. God has made us that way. We'll spend eternity with him or we will choose to be completely separated from him. I would suggest the first one's a lot better. Choosing to be with him. Let's take a look at Psalm 73. We'll come back there to Psalm 37. In Psalm 73, it's a parallel, if you would, to some of the things we're seeing here in 37. But it says in verse 1 of Psalm 73, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. 
For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Just very transparent, very honest. Like, man, this really got under my skin. This really bugged me. Verse 4. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. They're not plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. You didn't know they had social media back then, did you? I mean, you'll think about some of the things that are posted and said for all the world. I mean, the Internet really is one way to post something for all the world to see. Whoever could click on it, find it, there's really not a language barrier. There's not these other factors. And you consider some of the horrible things that are said, the pompous and arrogant things that are proclaimed and done. And the psalmist here, he's saying, man, they, all this was going well for them. Their eyes bulge with abundance. When you're scraping to get by and, and, and they're just, you know, it's, just, it's weird to me right now. Because with the internet element, the technology and the communication globally, we're able to be aware of, of companies like, say, BlackRock or Vanguard. And, and if you don't know, look it up. You'll know what I'm talking about. These companies that are, are, are they get billions and trillions and trillions of dollars, and their goal is to have more and more and more. And you're thinking, man, individuals that are, that are so, you know, wealthy beyond comprehension and, and the, when you start measuring a person's wealth with a billion that's a bunch you you we collectively couldn't even get a down payment on that you know what i'm saying it's like and the, what do these people generally do they speak very pompously very much in opposition to god they're they're trusting in what they have and, and the psalmist is just speaking what you and i go through it's like this stinks this stinks that we work so hard and we do so much, and, and then they just, they just they get more. They speak as though heaven doesn't exist. And, and now let's skip down to verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Like, I ain't getting anywhere on this. this I can't even get it. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And that then, all of a sudden, we're starting to see people from a different perspective. We're seeing people deceived and, and chasing something that will never satisfy. And as they set their heart on to have their first 100,000, and they arrived at it, and they thought a million would be cool, and then they got a million, and then a 10 million, and a 100 million. They're chasing it. And you're like, this is their end. This is good, as good as they will ever know anything. It's just, this life is as bad as it'll be for you and me. Heaven, you know, it, we're, we're, we're kind of here, going there. And they're here, going here. And you see what he's saying? I, I thought about it. I, I realized when I went into the sanctuary, I, I, really what that's conveying, when I calmed myself before God and listened, I understood their end. It didn't produce like, yes, they'll get theirs. Because you don't, you don't, like, you know, the Bible tells us not to, to celebrate the demise of anyone, of our enemy. We don't, we don't go, yes, finally it happened to them. We'd be like, man, that, that, how sad of a life to spend your time and in pursuits and, and not have anything when it's all said and done. God has a very patient, gracious attitude towards wicked people. We don't always see that, but he provides for them even though they mock him and reject him. Many are wealthy. They have abundance in this life, um, but their time will end as well, and, and sadly, they'll be forever separated from all good things. You know, what is hell? Hell is eternal separation from everything good. God is good. Everything he produces, everything he's shown is good. And so when we choose to be separated from him, it's not just the entity, the being, the creator. It, it's, it's a life where we want nothing good. I can't, you can't, I can't grasp what it would be to have 
everything good removed, right? I mean, how do you even try to grasp that? You can't. And ultimately, God's saying, listen, you have an option, a choice. And some who choose to reject him in this life, and he knows that, and he knows they will never turn to him, and yet he, he blesses them in this life, what would you do? Let's be honest. If they're flipping you the finger, and they're indignant towards you their entire life, and you know they're never going to change, you're not going to make their life comfortable. Most of us are a little more vengeful. We're going to let them pay. You know, they're always going to be this way. But guess what? Isn't it fascinating that God reveals his graciousness to the most ungrateful of humanity, his kindness? So why do I say that? We don't always have God's perspective on people. And it's really important to realize that. that maybe he can change our perspective and, and get a, a different view of, of how things are. And so moving on to verse 3, back over on Psalm 37. We're going to take a pause here in a little bit, so track with me. So don't fret. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's, it's a mindset, uh, but more than just a mindset, it's an application. Because trusting is not just a concept, it's a practice. Trust in the Lord and do good. So when you're trusting in the Lord, there's an application. There's a life expression of what that trust would be. And so he says, and do good. Dwell in the land, which literally speaks of take up residence, abide, if you would, and feed on your faithfulness. Did anybody see anything different there? Because it says feed on his faithfulness. How well do you do feeding on your faithfulness? You're not going to have much to eat sometimes. We're told in the New Testament that God is faithful even when we are faithless, for he cannot deny himself. He can't stop being himself, even though we would falter and maybe sometimes not walk according to truth. How many of you, you, you could just go interactive right now, have ever backslidden? How many of you have ever found where you didn't walk according to faith? So you few perfect people that didn't raise your hand, I'd like to talk to you later. <laughs> no, seriously, you think about it. We all have. Some of us have big seasons, right? It's just, this is where we're going to pause and go a little interactive. So I'll ask a question. I'll let somebody volunteer. If nobody volunteers, I'm going rogue and picking somebody. Just saying it. So what season... Would you identify as the season you wandered from the Lord, age-wise? Anyone? Raise your hand so I can, yeah. Teen years, okay. So you would say you wandered because you were introduced to the gospel, probably even became a believer in, in you know, your preteen years or right at the start of teen, and then you didn't remain faithful. Right. Anybody else, or she's the only one that's ever done that? <laughs> what about Nancy? What about you? Was that same same time frame? Huh? Fifties? Whoa! <laughs> that's interesting. How long have you been a Christian at that point? So fifties? That was like last year for you. <laughs> All right, maybe a few years ago. <laughs> so that what? So you don't mind me asking? What was so unique about that season? Was it like success and accomplishment? Or what was it that you found yourself not interested in the Lord? Oh. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, interesting. But you're, you, you realize at that point, man, I'm not where I want to be. Yeah. So how about anybody else? Is there a time when you, you just, you recognize, man, I, well, some of us really knew, but anybody else want to share? Yeah, Jeremy. 20s? 
So was it college-based or was it just life? Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you had cash flow, right? Did that help? <laughs> that generally does, you know, because uh, I, I've noticed this. There's a lot in, in that scenario that, you know, um, okay, how am I going to say this without getting in trouble? I've never worried about that before. So we have a lot of patriots in our military, but not all of them started that way. Many became patriots as they, they become aware of the calling. But many, correct me if I'm wrong, went in because they needed a good job. They joined the military because it was a smart move. They seen it from the GI Bill money perspective. They seen it from, hey, we're newly married. Now she's pregnant. How are we going to pay for this? Let's go this route. Is that accurate? Without being derogatory. Now, I'm not negative. I'm just I'm a realist. But what I've noticed also in that... Because the cash flow comes in, the assignment to the first duty station or basic training, and now they're not under the influence of where they were. The, the, the home church and the, the support and the family members and that, and, and now all of a sudden they've got a chance to live out what they believe. But there's more temptation. There's more things right there, and the next thing you know, there's a little bit of money and a few opportunities, and, and we see it a fair amount in this gathering in the sense over the last 24 years that people get here and they're ready to get back on track because they get to their first assignment they've already done some things in basic they've already done some things they're like yeah we're not going to travel this road anymore we're going to get back on track and so how many is there anybody who found that you know the college age or the college experience was it was a challenge anyone okay yeah, at least that's always it. Yeah, so because so, so I think what happens there, you know, it's, it's not just as we're seeing more and more of this aberrant teaching coming out of the colleges and stuff, but it was once again, it's exposure and opportunity. It's freedom in and, 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 and a new environment, you know. So I just want you to, I stamp, built all that off a little bit of feed on his faithfulness because I have noticed in my life when I wander and in my, my experience, wasn't so much backslidden. You know, I would t tie it together a little bit, maybe similar to what Nancy was describing. I became, I, got, I was, I, I got saved, and, I, and Kim and I just from the start, we just, we had enough behind us that we didn't want to repeat. That when we got saved, we were. It's so beautiful because it doesn't always happen this way. We were both all in. She started a year ahead of me, but we were, we were all in. We realized we, this is, if we're going to do this, if, we're gonna, if this is true, it's worthy of all of me. And so we got started, and when the way we go, well, there was a point where I find myself just distracted. I'm still going to church. I'm still kind of doing the family thing, but I'm also wanting to go do these other things. And I, I really was just checking the box spiritually, but not really in. And so I just felt a type of dryness, a type of uh, a hypocrisy, a, a kind of a guilt. Like I really wasn't about what I was reading. I really wasn't doing it. And it was a good wake-up call. And uh, my situation ended up um, being a little bit more, uh, uh, a close friend had um, experienced a uh, construction injury. He had fell off of a uh, upper um, the second floor when they're building the patio deck and uh, hit his head. And so we, everybody did everything right. I mean, we did it the way you're supposed to do it. We, we were at the chapel in the hospital praying for him. We, were, we did everything by the book. We, we, we literally were in the book. We prayed in increments, in hour increments. We filled the slots. We did everything. His wife um, was, was pregnant due any day with a child. I had a couple, few other child, children at that time too. So we just knew the good hand of God, his, the faithfulness of God will, will bring Kevin and he'll have a great testimony. And, and Kevin died. Kevin went to be with the Lord. And it rocked my world. It rocked my world. It was that, that season where I was still kind of really active in the church, but not, not really serious spiritually. And when he passed away, his, his wife, Lauren, gave birth to their son on the day of his memorial. You want to talk, I get goosebumps talking about it. It was such a catastrophic thing, but it was such a breakthrough too for me personally. 
I, I, I took the vehicle I was working on. I drove up Bogus Basin. I parked it. I ran up the hill and just yelled. I didn't, and I found I didn't yell at God. I just found myself, I hate sin. I hate what's happening in this life. God, I need more of you. Because I've seen his faithfulness. When Lauren shared, it was so powerful because she shared about the faithfulness of God. She, she shared actually from a song, I can't remember the artist, some of you would know it, of the ultimate healing, the healing that Kevin experienced by being with God. But the hurt that also was, was behind and every, uh, all the kids were, were going to have to work through. I wanted to share that and kind of take a little time because feed on his faithfulness. Feed on his faithfulness. Faithfulness is not defined by feelings. Faithfulness is not defined by uh, circumstances and situations. It's who he is. He's faithful. And it's hard to see it. It's hard to tell Lauren that God is faithful while she's given birth to a child later to be in a wheelchair at the memorial service speaking at the memorial of her husband. It's hard. Can you, is it real? It's hard to see faithfulness there. But it says to chew on it. Feed on his faithfulness. And I want to say also, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight is, is, is also an element of, of um, it's not about senses or sensual pleasure. It's about soften yourself. You know, soften yourself also in the Lord. Be pliable and he shall give you the requests of your heart. What's interesting about how God does this is he he gives us the desires of our heart, but they're not those fleshly desires that we were wanting. He actually unveils the heart of a believer. So his desires are implanted within us when we're born again. They're a part of him. And so as we now want to grow or we, we see certain things about ourselves and we don't want to be backslidden, we want to grow closer to him, all of a sudden our desires are changing. You've experienced that, right? Because if you've been backslidden or at this point and now you find yourself going this way you you were able to look and go this is not the desires i want these desires over here were different and they're really not what i want i want these deeper desires of the heart that came with salvation which really it's god's desire god's will god's direction for our lives and so he, he, so it's important to know that cuz sometimes this gets manipulated in some circles you know, that are about just, you just got to gotta walk with God and tell him your desires and he'll give you the desires of your heart. No, he gives you a deeper desire, not a fleshly and, and uh, uh, carnal desire, but he unveils because I, I don't think I'm any different than you. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk closer with him. I want him to, to hold me and carry me through the hard times. I want to see his hand and his work in this world. I didn't have that desire before I was born again. I didn't care what God did. I didn't even know if God did. I didn't even know if God was. And so now, it's like, man, he gives us this desire, and we long for it. And, and so I guess I would just say, you know, uh, be soft, be pliable, and, and he'll give you the petitions, the requests of your heart. Going on to verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You know, commit. Um, it actually is it, it's talking about like rolling it off onto the Lord. You know, uh, you think about um, uh, the New Testament, First uh, Peter 5. Cast all your cares upon him. And it tells us a reason relationally. Cast all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. So we, once again, we go back to his character, his nature. And to cast is somewhat similar to roll off. When you cast something, it's often, a, well, in my realm, it's a fishing term. But you, you, know, you, you just roll it off. You throw it over to him. You give it over to him. You hand it off to him. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Commit your way to the Lord. God, I don't know how to do this. God, I'm not sure what to say. God, I, I don't know how to manage my emotion or, or, or process how I'm dealing with this. I commit your way to the Lord. And it says, 
trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And literally, I, I think it could be seen where he, he will bring you through that time where you think of Psalm 23. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He, he carries us through, takes us through. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's, you should put that on the fridge. Um, you have a little cool little bumper sticker that says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. But it's a lot easier to put it on a magnet and stick it on a bumper than to practice it in everyday life. Agreed? Many things in the Bible are super simple. Super simple by understanding. They're not so simple by practice. Agreed? It, it's not always easy to put it. Rest in the Lord. It, it's just, it's, it's actually stop, cease, be quiet in the Lord. And it says, and wait patiently. Wait there. It has the uh, meaning of, of, of to, um, to uh, W-R-I-T-H, or wiggle. So wiggle patiently. Squirm in the Lord. Now that just sounds like it doesn't fit, right? How do you do both of those? How do you squirm in the Lord patiently? Because you're uncomfortable. Have you ever been uncomfortable and, and, and maybe God's stirring something in you, and you don't just sit there, oh, yeah, this is awesome, God. You're like, I need to get up and go get some water. I need to go, I'm going to turn this message off. I'm going to, oh, I just remembered, i got to go back to work. Oh, I left my cell phone in the car. You know, it's, 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 it's an element that's real. It's like, so it's saying, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. It, it's not easy, but it is important. That even when we're uncomfortable, I, I don't. I, I've, there's been so many times I've, I've you know listened to like a podcast or maybe listened to teaching, and like today I, I list I put on Psalm 37 and and I just walked, you know, just walk around, listen to it, repeating it over and over. But when I'm listening to like a podcast or a teaching, or, and sometimes even just the word, there's just sometimes it's uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable. Because it's convicting. Because it's cut into the deep reality of my life. It's teaching me, are you, are you practicing this, Dan, in this way I want you to practice it? Sometimes we get an understanding, an elementary grasp of what it means in Proverbs 3 to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And we love that and we're encouraged. But then he takes it to a deeper level and he grows roots into our heart. He's like, now I want you to apply it this way too. Like, God, that's difficult. How do I trust you in this area of finances? I thought I was, but now I wonder. You know, so I just want to encourage you. God is drawing us nearer to him. He's bringing us closer. He's, he's working things through us. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. We know that. We know Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with thanksgiving, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We know those verses. But it's easy to fret, to become agitated. To become irritated. And when you got it figured out, and when you're really doing well, you'll go through Walmart. Well, that alone might do it. But you may just go, you know, if you're looking for something and it used to be somewhere else because it's not there now. You, so it's you, but even more so, you, you're going along and you're feeling okay. And then there's that other person that's pushing that cart that just went down that aisle and you decided suddenly you don't need milk, you need to go to sporting goods. Because what happened? They agitate you. They cause you to fret. And he's saying, don't fret. It only causes you harm. You know, when we have to work through relational realities, there's a benefit to a small town. Most of the time, you don't, you don't get to put it off very long. You'll bump into them somewhere. 
And all in reality, you know, Kim and I have joked about this because we go back to Boise and it's sort of, you know, exploded and there's humans everywhere and cars, more, far more cars than there are people. I don't know how that mathematically that works, but it seems to be. But we'll bump into somebody and there'll be a situation and we'll end up talking about, oh, that was back then. And we realize, okay, we got we to gotta work through some of these issues or whatever that was. You know what I'm saying? You're going to bump into it. And it's teaching us, don't fret. It only causes harm. Cease from anger, is that? There, there's some people that do things they should not do. It's referred to as wicked schemes. Do you know that that's in the church too? Born-again Christians sometimes do evil things. Really? Yeah, actually they do. They, they, they do things they shouldn't do. They hurt people around them. They, they are sometimes distraught and confused. Sometimes they don't even care. And, and what happens when you see someone who's in the church, born again, they're, they're, they're there, and then you see them and you're like, they don't care. They don't have any sensitivity to the Spirit. They don't have any sense of moral meter. Their ethical you know, line is not even there. Do you think they see you and go, oh, that person's kind of an irritation? No. You're, you're fretting. You're the one that gets worked up. And it's saying, don't do that. Because here's the sad thing about when we do get worked up. And I'm not, I'm not once again, understand what I said already. This is easy to, to discuss and hard to practice. There are times we have to go, wow, man, this is, that's a little tough. Maybe you've already thought of a person or a situation or a scenario and you're trying not to think of it anymore. But the fact is, we have to work through these things and we have to be able to say, Lord, I just got to hand this off to you because it only causes harm to you. Those situations and those circumstances you may be thinking about, that event in your life or person or whatever, it's like... When you have to forgive someone and you realize that and you don't forgive them, it doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother them if they've wronged you. Very, many times they just, they don't even have a, a wrongomometer. They, they don't even know that they've done you wrong. And, and now that aggravates you more, correct? Doesn't that stir you up even a little more? Like, man, they carry on like they're innocent and I know what they did. And they know what they did and it's just bugging me. Look, listen, it just causes harm, and it's mainly to you. And I, like I say, it's simple to stand here and for us to kind of walk through these principles, but to put them into practice, that's where our greatest steps of faith are at, more than any other area, I believe. When we have to deal with things that, that cause us to fret, it may be just some of the uh, injustices of this world that we've already touched on, that are financial or positional or whatever. And it could be just the issue of people that have just wronged, and it causes us to get worked up. And he says, it only causes harm. It goes on to say, evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Moving through to verse 10, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The movers and the shakers of the first century gave way to the geniuses and rich people of the second century and the third century, and the cycle continues to our current century. But they didn't take any of it with them. Does that make sense? It's really what's being said. You know, you... you those who are focused on the things of this life, that's all they'll have until they no longer have this life and then they'll have nothing. We are, by God's invitation, by God's revelation about eternity, we are not seeing things with just the, this heavenly, or I mean this earthly perspective. That's why I refer to it as just having a, uh, uh, being, um, have eternity in view. Because the things that seem wrong and are wrong will end. I could, you know, you, you know, you've seen it. If you've ever read much or even seen some of the depictions and well, even some photography or the pictures of the Great Depression, you know, why were people jumping out of windows? Because as far as they could, they could tell, their world came to an end. But they didn't jump out the window six months previously because they had everything they wanted 
They were climbing for more. They were loving life. They were rich or wealthy or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden, when that's taken away, they are no more. You go to their office. You look very carefully for their place, but they won't be there. You see the picture? You see what's being conveyed to us? Let's keep eternity in view. So with that, we're going to stop right there in verse 11 because it's about 10 till. And I want to pray. But I also want to take this opportunity to, to enjoy the uh, format that we have. And that what I mean by that is, you know, on Sunday morning, um, I, I love the approach. I love what we're able to do. Uh, recognize that there's people come in. You understand this. There's, there's some people that are, you know, from the community. Some people that are assigned work. They're traveling through their work. They're just dropping in. There's those of us that are regular. It's just a, a broader mix. And it, and it makes sense. We really have a limit on what we can do in format. We really are. It has to be more monologue-based as opposed to dialogue-based. And at the same time, when we end our service, you know, there's just, it's different dynamic. But now as we end, we'll be able to have some time to, to actually have conversation one with another, be an encouragement to each other. The, the church is in great need of all of us understanding how to love one another, how to, what, a technical term, not technical, but a common term. Body ministry is when one another, we're, we're, we're exercising the gifts, we're being encouraging, we're, we're walking in truth, we're getting to know each other. That's a healthy church. You can have a charismatic pastor, you can have a gifted teacher, you can have a phenomenal worship team, and a completely dead church. The life of the church is from the, in the body, not in the leader. If you don't have a good leader, you, you won't have a body because you'll all leave. <laughs> but, you see what I'm saying? We sometimes forget because we think it's more about these things in, in such a way. Let's pray. God, as we would process this, I know, because I know some of the faces and situations and scenarios and joys and heartaches. I know some that are older and some that are younger. And I know my own life a little bit. And so I know, God, there's a, a lot represented here, and yet nothing, nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is not only beyond your view, it, it's very intimate, very personal to you. And so, Lord, will you minister to our hearts? Would you be that encouragement? Would you, God, speak truth into our hearts? And even as we have opportunity now to enjoy life together, to be able to have conversation, encouragement, uh, laughter, prayer, whatever it may be. Would you direct our, our conversation? Would you connect us together? We want to be serious about your work. We want to take you seriously, but we need to be a little more lighter on ourselves, Lord. And so teach us what that looks like. May you just bless the remainder of our time, and we just thank you, God, for all that you are, all that you've done, and all that you will do. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.